look of 1 John. The book of 1 John chapter 4. The book of 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to begin there, look in, in verse 12 and following. 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to begin there looking in verse 12. Now we left off last uh, the last time we were together uh, going through the book with verse uh, with verse 11. And we were talking about the uh, love of God and talking about what, uh, what it's all about, where, where it comes from, uh, or where it originates from, the direction that it goes, and uh, all of that kind of stuff, the, its habitation, the definition, its manifestation of it, and uh, all of those really neat things. And so as we get into verse 12, we really continue that same thought. And as we continue that same thought, uh, he tells us there in verse 12, he says, No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now when you first look at verse 12, it seems like the very first part of that verse seems like it's kind of out of place. Um, because you look at it and he says, No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, and it just kind of seems like it's just kind of out of place. Almost like the very first part of that verse don't belong there. Uh, but, of course, it naturally does. God put it there for a reason. And uh, what God's trying to get us to see is that, you know, as we're talking about this idea of love, of course, verse 12 will go along with uh, verse 20 uh, as well. You can kind of link those two together. Uh, uh, we haven't got there yet, but those two verses kind of link together. Uh, so as he's uh, continuing his thought about love, and he gets down to verse 12, and he says, No man has seen God at any time. Of course, when we think about uh, who God is, why hasn't any man seen God? Uh, well, we're not talking about uh, seeing God as the Lord Jesus. Now, we know Jesus is God, yes, but we're not talking about uh, that's, that's God in the flesh, and we understand that, but we're talking about God as a spirit. Now, no man has seen God at any time. Now, we understand that God put Moses in the cliff of the rock, and we, we get that, but, but no man has looked on the face of God. No man has looked on the absolute glory of God and all of its beauty and all of its magnificence and all of its power. For the Bible tells us that no man can look upon God and live. And the reason why that is is because God is so magnificent. He is so bright. He is so pure. He is so righteous. He is so holy. Uh, he is all of these things that, that man in his physical form, in his sin-filled nature, uh, cannot stand in the presence of God and live. Uh, and so when we think about uh, no man has seen God at any time, we also go back to the fact that what did John also say in the Gospels about the, to the understanding uh, that John, has, when he talked about how we worship God, he says that God is a spirit. And those that worship God must worship God in spirit and worship God in truth. And so what we see is, is as he is referring to the Lord that no man has seen God at any time, He's trying to get us to see that, listen, I, we, no man has seen God as, uh, as a spirit. Like I said, we're not talking about Jesus, his, his son. We're talking about the Father himself this, uh, in the spirit. No man has seen God at, uh, at any time. And so he carries the thought there in verse 12, if no man has seen God at any time, and then he goes and he says, if we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. <clears throat> and so what we see is, is as, as he's just talking about how nobody has seen God at any time, of course, uh, in the flesh or, or neither in the spirit, 
But then when he, be, when, he, when he moves along with the rest of the verse, he says, so how, if, we, if we haven't seen God, then how do we know that God is there? How do we know that God exists? How do we know that we're children of God? I mean, there's been lots of people have asked that question down through the ages. If God really exists, how do you know that he exists? And I think verse 12 and following kind of gives a, a, an example or an illustration, if you want, or an answer, if that's what you want to say to this, it may not be the answer that the critics would want, but it is an answer to God's people. And so when he says that nobody has seen God at any time, he then points to love. And so we may not have seen God with our physical eyes. We haven't seen God with our spiritual eyes, of course, because we're not in heaven. But how do we, how, what other way have we seen God? What other, how do we know that God exists? How do we know that God is there? How do we know that God lives in us? And he points to the very fact of what God is. And he says there in verse 12, No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. And so he says, listen, you can, even though you haven't seen God, whether it's in the flesh or in the spirit, even though you haven't seen him in that kind of way, there is a way that you know he's there. There is a way that you know he exists. And that is through love, which is the whole uh, the, which is the whole uh, uh, illustration that he's been given to us there in the last uh, several verses preceding this. He says, listen, when you, can, uh, when you have that agape love, that agape love that originates from God himself, and when that agape love that comes from God himself, that, that love that enables you to forgive, in essence, almost what it would for man would be the unforgivable, that, that love that would uh, turn the other cheek, that love that would, uh, that would uh, by far surpass any kind of love that man, uh, through his own might and strength and through his own definition through the world, can conceive. This love, when you have this kind of love, it is evident that of course God is there it is evidence that God is real it is evidence that uh, that God also lives and dwells inside of you even though you haven't seen him with the fleshly eye even though you haven't gone to heaven yet and seen him with your spiritual eye you know that he is there you know that he exists because of the love that he has and if you have that same kind of love if you're loving one another as he has loved you because isn't that what John said in the Gospels love uh, uh, the Lord Jesus. He said to love one another as I have loved you there in the book of John. Uh, and so it, that's what, and that's what he alludes to right there in verse 12. No man has seen God at any time if we love one another. And so if you love one another as God has loved us, going all the way back to the very, uh, going back to uh, chapter 4 in verse 7, beloved, let us Love one another, for love is of God. And so we see how it originates with God, and when it comes from God, it then comes out to us. We are the ones that, uh, as we get it from the Lord, we share it with others. And so he, and he, so he alludes back to verse 7 uh, here, there in verse 12, showing us that even though you haven't seen God with, the very, with your eyes, in your, or your physical eyes or your spiritual eyes, you know that he's true, you know that he exists, and you know that you're saved, and you know that he lives and dwells inside of you because you possess this kind of love and you are allowing yourself to be the, the channel 
of love uh, of the love of God. It comes from God, it comes through you, and then you channel it out and funnel it out to one another. He says, no man's seen God at any time. If we love one another, so how is it? If we haven't seen God with a physical eye, we haven't seen God with our spiritual eye as of yet, then how do we see God? Through his love. That's how we see God. And other people see God through our love. Whenever we demonstrate the love of God, we allow other people to see that God exists, that God is true, that God is real. Whenever we demonstrate, not when we talk about, but when we demonstrate the love of God, because nobody can see God. So if nobody can see God, then how is everybody going to know that God exists? How is everybody going to know that God is there? How is everybody going to know that God is real? How is everybody going to know that God is even inside of you? And how are you going to know that God's inside of you? Because even though you don't see Him with your fleshly eye, you demonstrate the same kind of love that He has. His love, it originates with Him. It comes down inside of you. It channels and flows through you to everybody else. And even though everybody else can't see God, just like you can't see God, they see that God is true and they see that God is real because when they see the kind of love that you have, it it is the kind of love that they know is different than the kind of love that the world possesses. And they say, you know what? They are completely different from the rest of this world. You ever been around somebody you said, you know what, I can, you didn't know them really very well or maybe you just met them. And when you come across them, you said, you know what, there's something different about them. I don't know what it is maybe exactly, but I just think there's something different about them. And right off the bat, you just begin to pick up, I think they're Christians. I think, I think those people are saved. I think, there's, I think they're Christians. Why is that? Well, I think some of that is because, of course, our character and how we, care, how we carry ourselves and, ha- and how we talk and how we conduct ourselves. But in other ways, too, we also see it because of the love that we demonstrate and we show to each other. And so even though we can't see God with the naked eye, we begin to, uh, or our spiritual eye as of yet because we're not in heaven, we begin to see God because uh, we see his love and we see his love demonstrated through us and through other people. And so even though no man has seen God at any time, if we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. It is, his love is the most perfect kind of love there is. And so he gets to verse 13 and he says, Hereby know, he didn't say hereby suppose, he didn't say hereby maybe, he says hereby know we that, uh, that, know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit, that capital S there. And how do we know that we possess the spirit of God? Because we are demonstrating his love. Even though we haven't seen him with the physical eye, even though we haven't seen him with our spiritual eyes as of yet, we are able to see God and know God and know that he lives and dwells within us and know that we possess the spirit of God because we are demonstrating the same kind of love that God demonstrates, the same kind of love that he has, the same kind of love that he possesses. And so in verse 13, he says, Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And of course, that Holy Spirit there that comes and lives and dwells within inside of us and seals himself within us until the day of redemption, uh, which is the going home of the purchased possession. I don't know about you, 
but I'm saved here tonight, and I know the Holy Spirit lives and dwells with inside of me. He has sealed Himself inside of me, and there's nothing that can get Him out. You know what? I'm sure I'm thankful about that. I sure am glad that there is nothing that can force the Holy Spirit of God outside of me. I'm very thankful. Now, I may quench Him sometimes, and I may grieve Him sometimes, but I'm very thankful uh, that the Holy Spirit has a desire to live and dwell and seal Himself up inside of me, and He will be there until the day of redemption which is as I said the going home of the purchased possession and I have been purchased I am a purchased possession bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus and the Bible shows us here in verse 12 uh, I'm sorry verse 13 uh, that he uh, that hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit and the only way that we can love one another as God would have us to the only way that we can uh, uh, love the way that God wants us to love is to possess the Spirit of God. Because what does the Spirit of God do? It gives us a new nature, right? Because without the Spirit of God, we don't possess that new nature. And without that new nature, we can't love like God loves. Uh, and so, extremely important uh, that we understand that. And so, uh, there in verse 13, Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. There in verse 14, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And what did their love towards God do? What does, what does their love towards God do? And what does uh, the Holy Spirit of God do? So we say, listen, we, notice right here, notice what we see. Anybody that denies the Trinity, there in verse 12, of course you see uh, God. Uh, there in verse 13, uh, we see the Spirit. And there in verse 14, what do we see? We see the Son. We see the Trinity right there in those three verses. And if you'll notice, verse 12, of course, God is capital. Verse 13, Spirit's capital. And then verse 14, Son is capital, which is talking about the Trinity, showing God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all right there, right there together. But I want you to notice something too because you got to understand, carry on this, uh, remember, remember this conversation that John has been having with the people about uh, about how there were people that crept in unaware that were uh, that were bringing false doctrine about who Jesus is. You know, there were folks that said, "Well, I love God, but we don't accept the Son. I love God, but we don't think Jesus is the Son of God." They say, "Well, I, I love God, and we believe in the doctrine of God, but we don't believe in the doctrine of the Son, and we don't believe any of that." Well, John gets here to verse uh, in these verses right here, and he brings out God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. He brings out God the Son, he brings the whole Trinity out right here in those three verses. And what do they do? All three of these verses work together in, in, uh, in, uh, in unity, in harmony. Because there in verse 12, he says, No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us. And his love, talking about God's love. There in verse 13, Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And so we see the Spirit of God, His Spirit that, that, that lives in us. And if the Holy Spirit lives in us, then that means that the love of God comes along with the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Because the Holy Spirit is God. And so, and so we have the Holy Spirit that 
that has the love of God because it is God, or He is God. And there in verse 14, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And then in verse 15, He clears it up and says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in Him and He in God. And so He just removes all doubt. He says, listen, what you got to see, folks, and understand is that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Trinity there. You can't have one without the other, that they all are one. And you, you, you can't say that you love God and don't accept the Son. You can't say that you love God and don't want the Spirit of God. You can't say that you, you, you have to have all of them together. And so he says in, uh, there in verse 15, that whosoever, you know, I like the fact that it's whosoever, that it's not just a certain class of people or a certain group of people. I'm glad that he says there in verse 15 that whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, that God dwelleth in him and he in God. Uh, verse 15 just really shows, talks about a person that got saved. They accept who the Father is. They accept who the Holy Spirit of God is. They accept who the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ is. And because they are accepting of this, what happened? They got saved. And, and so when they got saved, he says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Because what was the problems that they were having? They were having the problems of the people that were coming in the early church there and saying that Jesus is not the Son of God. And so he tries to make his point here and showing that, listen, if you say you love God, then you have to love the Son. If you say you love God, then you have to love the Holy Spirit. If, if, you, if you, you can't say that you love God and don't love the other ones. You have to see them all together, all as one. Uh, the Trinity there, the, uh, the unity of God. And so he says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. So he just comes right out, verse 15, says, You just need to know that if you'll believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then you're saved, you can get saved, you are saved. If you, if you confess that, if that's what you believe, uh, then... You are saved, and whosoever shall confess. Hey, praise the Lord. Um, no matter uh, who you are, no matter what you've done, whosoever shall confess. No matter how great it is of your sin, uh, that's why the Lord put in there uh, that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Because there are some people that would say, well, I'm not as big of a sinner as they are, you know. He's a worse sinner than I am. And, uh, and who knows, that may be. But still, in the sight of God, uh, it's sin and we're lost. And, uh, of course, it's no doubt that some people uh, do tend to live a better life than others. But it makes no, uh, but it doesn't, uh, still doesn't mean that uh, we're, not in any need of forgiveness and uh, need salvation. Uh, so whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and God dwells in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. Because see, there comes out the definition once again, which goes along with verse 8. 
verse 8, it says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. What does it say there in verse 16? And we have known and believed the love that God had to us. God is love. Comes out with the, the definition of what God is, of what love is. Love is God. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwells in God and God in him. And so he's just trying to get everybody to see that, listen, you know that you're saved. You can see that God is true. You can see that God is real. Even though not with necessarily your physical eye at this moment, even though not with your spiritual eyes at this moment because you're not dead and you're not in heaven, but you can see that God is true. You can see that God is real. You can see that God exists. You can see the power of God. You can see that you're saved by God and have the assurance of God that you are saved because you demonstrate and possess the same love of God inside of you and you funnel that out to other people and the fact that you uh, love God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit that they are all one together and you love them all and whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God dwells in him and he in God. You know, and I'll just throw this out for good measure. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with praying to the Holy Spirit neither, right? You ever pray to the Holy Spirit? I pray. Hey, listen, I pray to the Father, I pray to the Son, and I pray to the Holy Spirit. I pray to all three of them. Uh, and I don't think any of that is sacrilegious because they're all a part of God, right? Uh, I pray to all three. There's nothing wrong with doing that. And we see all three listed right here. Uh, but anyways, just wanted to get that out. But he says there, he says, We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. How have they known and believed the love, of God, that, love that God hath to us? How have they known it? He says, We've known it and we believe it. Well, how did they know it? Well, it was demonstrated to them. They're on the cross. How did they believe it? They believe it because they saw what the Lord Jesus did on the cross. That the just died for the unjust. You know, these men uh, that were with the Lord Jesus, there for uh, the years that, uh, that, uh, that he existed with, these, uh, with the disciples, the year that he traveled around with them, those years. As he traveled around with them, I can imagine. Can you, you, ever, uh, you ever been around some folks you felt like you... I don't know, you, ever, you felt like you was walking on eggshells. Can you, imagine, can you imagine what it's like now? Not that it's any different because Jesus still knows what all we're doing. But let's just say for a moment that Jesus is here in the flesh and you can see him. Now, if he was here in the flesh and we could see him, what difference would that make in our life? Now, would we be like, feel like we got to walk on eggshells around him? No, I better not say this. I better not do that. No, I better, I better not act this way. No, I better. We'd be doing everything we could to make sure that we are uh, on par, as, as right and as right as we can be, as, you know, everything that we need to be, uh, that he needs us to be. And we would be doing everything we could to do it. But the fact remains is even though we can't see him with our physical eyes, he still sees everything that we do. He still knows everything that we say. Uh, and so just because we can't see him with our physical eyes and not our spiritual eyes as of yet, uh, uh, what, it does, well, so what it does do is we say, just like they did there in verse 16, you say, well, how do we, uh, how do we, uh, how do we love God? How, do, how have we known God and how have, I mean, how, verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God had to us. How have we known his love and how have we believed his love? Well, We've known it and believed it because of what he demonstrated there on the cross. 
How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? The very same way. How is other people going to know that? The very same way. We're going to demonstrate the love that he has. And what that's going to do is, is that's going to not just cause us to believe, but cause other folks to believe. And so it says, God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwells in God, and God in him. And so it shows you there in verse 16, really, uh, where our life should be dwelling. Where should we dwell? Our life should dwell, in essence, in the love of God. That's where it should dwell. That's where it should be. That's where, that's where we should live our life, live in our life dwelling in the love of God. And when we live our life dwelling in the love of God, we become, uh, we become uh, that one that is able to uh, completely demonstrate, fully demonstrate the, what God's love is all about. Verse 17, he says, Here is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. I tell you what, in verse 17, he says, herein is, uh, herein is our love. Our love is made perfect. Uh, why is our love made perfect? Because, uh, because our love has originated from God. And so it says, because our love has originated from God, because we possess that love, we have the most perfect love that there is. I mean, if our love is, if our love is perfect, I mean, perfect is perfect. If our love is, uh, if, if it is as perfect and as righteous and pure as holy as it can be, then that means it only came from one source. And that means it came from God. And so there in verse 17, he says, Herein is our love made perfect. How is our love made perfect? The fact that we dwell in God. The fact that we allow ourselves to live in God. That we dwell in God. And the more you dwell in God, and the more you live in God, the more you live in His Word, the more that you do these things, uh, the better person that we become. The Bible says we're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, the, the more time that we spend with God, the more beneficial it's going to be for us. The more it's going to help us. The more, it's, we're, the more we're going to grow. The more, we're gonna, the more we know about Him, the more we learn about Him, the more... Uh, we are uh, the more of a better Christian, <coughs> excuse me, that we're going to be in our life. And so, excuse me. All right. <coughs> and so, verse 18, he says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear, because fear hath torment, and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. So there in verse 18, of course, we see really quickly how when we think about the judgment of the world, we think about standing righteous and standing perfect before God. Because if we jump back up to 17 real quickly, we see that he's talking about because we possess the love of God that we can stand bold in the day of judgment. Because we possess the Lord, because we possess the Lord Jesus, because we have the Holy Spirit of God, because we have His love inside of us, because He dwells within us, He says that we can have boldness in the day of judgment because as He is, so are we in this world. Now, now, now look at that. As He is, so are we in where? Did it say in heaven? As He is, so are we in heaven? No, it says, as he is, 
so are we in this world. Which he's, which he's trying to get us to see is, is that because you're saved and because you are dwelling in the love of God, because you are living in the love of God, what's happening is, as you now know, listen, because we don't know when the day of judgment's coming. And so we're to ever be mindful and to always be watchful. Uh, but because we don't know when that day's coming, we continue to dwell and we continue to live in the love of God and dwell in the love of God and continue to grow and continue to try to be more uh, like Him because, uh, because we don't know when the Lord Jesus is coming back. And we also uh, do it because we just love Him. Listen, we want to know more about Him because we love Him. You know, generally speaking, you... Uh, that which you love, you want to know a lot about. Amen. I mean, that if you really love something a whole lot, you want to know everything that you can about it. You'll research it. You'll find it. You'll do with everything, everything you can to cherish it and nourish it. Just we went over the uh, the uh, uh, God and the family here recently, you know. Uh, and so, if you love something, you give effort into it. You spend time with it. You you do everything you can to to know about it. And so he says that uh, herein is love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because we are more like him and growing like him and learning, uh, learning more about him, then we are, going to, uh, we are going to be able to stand boldly in the, day, in the day of judgment because we possess the same kind of love that he has. We possess the Holy Spirit of God with inside of us. And so... Uh, and he says we have that in this world. So it is possible uh, to love like God in this world. And there in verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear hath torment. How many have ever been afraid? Been, I'm, yeah, been, been afraid, been scared to death. And if you've ever been scared to death, you know it ain't fun. That's why the Bible calls, that's why the Bible calls it torment. How many of you not just been scared for the moment, but maybe you've been scared for the whole day. Maybe there was something that really got you scared. You were scared for the whole day. Maybe you're scared for a week. Man, you ever been scared for a whole week? Maybe you're scared for a whole month. I mean, I'm talking, when, and whenever you have, and when this fear is there, what does it do? It literally torments your soul. That's what fear does. It torments you, whether it's for five minutes, whether it's for an hour, whether it's for uh, 24 hours, or whether it's for a whole week. doesn't make any difference. Fear has torment that comes with it. And he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear hath torment. And he that feareth is not made perfect in love. And so what we see here is, of course, what would, what is, what would there be to fear? Well, we see we just got done talking about judgment. And so what is one of the things that, I, what is one of the things that brings me comfort and joy in my life? Well, one of the things that brings me as a Christian comfort and joy in my life, even though I know I'm not perfect and I still got a lot of growing to do in my life, and I, I would share that we'd probably all agree here tonight that we, that we all do, but one of the things that brings me comfort and joy and peace, one of the things, the, one of the reasons why I'm able to possess that tonight is because, and even though I'm, uh, I'm not perfect, but one of the reasons why I'm able to uh, enjoy that this evening is because I know that one of the things that's going to keep me from being judged at the great white throne judgment, one of the things that's going to keep me from being judged for every single word I've ever said and every single thought I've ever had, and one of the things that's going to keep me from being judged of all, every sin I've ever committed is the fact that I possess 
Jesus in my life. Is the fact that the Holy Spirit of God lives and dwells with inside of me and that, I, and that Jesus lives and dwells inside of me. So I can stand bold on the day of judgment. Not because I'm good. Not because of my own goodness. Not because I'm all righteous by no means because I'm not. Uh, not because I've done wonderful things. Because what does the Bible say about our good deeds? It says filthy rags, right? Uh, and so uh, not because of any of those things, but I'm able to stand boldly on the day of judgment because of the, the love of God that is in me, because of the love of God that was shown towards me, because of the love of God that I possess. And because I possess that love, I then share with others what God has shared with me. And as I share with others what God has shared with me, I am able to stand bold in the day of judgment because as He is, so are we in this world. And that right there should uh, give us a lot of confidence tonight. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And the reason why I do not fear judgment as far as the great white throne judgment is concerned for my sin is because I know I'm saved. But, we, but for God's people, and I don't want to get off track here, but for God's people, we still know that there is a judgment that comes for us as we stand before the Lord at the beam of seat of Christ and we are judged for the, uh, the things that we've done in our body, the good and the bad. And I don't mean the bad as being sin. I mean the bad as the motives of why we've done what we've done. Uh, and, so, uh, and so there's going to be many folks, perhaps all of us, who will stand before the beam of seat of Christ and, uh, and watch the things that maybe perhaps we've done for God get burned up because it wasn't done the right way and wasn't done uh, out of the pure heart and a pure motive and the way it should have been done. Uh, but anyways, there's still coming a judgment for us. Every man will have his day before God. But there's one thing that I can do is I can stand boldly before the Lord because in that day of judgment, because I possess the Spirit of God, the Lord Jesus, inside of me. And so what that does is, is that love that God has for me and that love that I possess, it casts out that fear because that fear hath torment. Verse 19, he says, We love him because he first loved us. I tell you what, we'd have never loved Christ had he had never demonstrated his love for us. We wouldn't love Jesus tonight had he not ever demonstrated his love. Now I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what God could have done. Now, God could have written his book, and he could have said all these really neat things in it. I mean, I love the Word of God from cover to cover, uh, from, uh, from the very beginning to the very end. I love the whole thing. But let's just say this. Let's say, let's just suppose that we took out, whether it's from uh, the Old Testament or the New Testament, let's say we erased and took out the sacrifice that had to be paid for us to go to heaven. Let's say we took that out. So you have the whole rest of the Bible. You have everything. You have, all, you have everything else. How he said to live and uh, what God. You have, you have all these things. But now you no longer have anything in the Bible that says anything about a sacrifice that had to have been paid. Or in the Gospels where we see what the Lord Jesus did to die for us. Let's say all of that was gone. That that wasn't in there. Would you appreciate the love of God any more or any less? 
I believe if we was honest with ourselves, we'd say, you know what, if we took out the sacrifice that he paid for our sins, I'd say, you know what, anybody can tell me they love me, but it's only until they show me, right? I mean, anybody can say they love me, but it's only until they show me. Why do I love the Lord? Do I love God because he told me in his book that he loved me? Or do I love God because he gave his only begotten son to die for me? Now, I love God because he gave his only begotten son to die for me. And I believe that whenever he done that, he demonstrated and told me how much he loved me because he died for me. Does that make sense? And so what I'm trying to get us to see, and it's not so much as what you say is, is what we do. And so because he demonstrated his love, he just didn't say it. He demonstrated it. And because he demonstrated his love, that's what makes us love him that much more. Not just because he just said that he loved us but because he demonstrated that he loved us. And because he demonstrated that he loved us, it made us fall in love with him that much more. Because we see the length that God was willing to go to save us. We see the expanse of God's love that he has for us. And what is the expanse of God's love? That he would be willing to send his own son, his only righteous, holy, pure son, who has never sinned that one time to come to this earth and die for folks that don't care nothing for him, to die for people that don't love him, to die for people that don't care uh, nothing about him or care nothing about his word, to die for a people that are consumed in their own lust and sin, to die for to die for a nation, to nations of the world, to die for a whole world that could care less about living for God. And the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that is his demonstration of love. And because he demonstrated it, he didn't just say it, but because he demonstrated it, we tend to love him, I think, that much more because he says we love him because he first loved us. There in verse 20, he says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? That goes with verse 12. So he's trying to get us to see, you know, you can say that you love God. You can say that you love the Lord. You can say that you love all these other people. You can say that you possess the love of God. You can say all these things, and it sounds really good. It sounds really nice. It sounds really impressive. But demonstrating it goes a whole lot further than just saying it. And he says, if a man say, I love God, and hates his brother. Now, if you're hating his brother, then you are actively demonstrating that you don't like him. You are actively demonstrating that you can't stand him. You're not just saying it, but you are actively demonstrating that you do not love your brother. And so he says, if a man say, I love God, and he hates his brother, then he's a liar. Because how can, how can we... Not love our brothers and sisters in Christ. How can we not love our fellow Christians and still with the same mouth say that we love God? God says it can't happen. Because if you possess the love of God, then that means that you're going to love what God loves. And if you don't love what God loves, then you don't possess the love of God. And if you don't possess the love of God, that means you don't have the Spirit of God. That means you don't have the Son of God. That means that you uh, are lost. And so he says, you have become a liar. You've made yourself a liar. You have, as the Bible says, deceived yourself. And so if a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he 
love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment have we from him that he who loveth uh, that he who loveth God love his brother also. This commandment, this commandment comes from God. And he says, and this commandment we have from him. It is a commandment, not a suggestion. And the commandment is, is that we love one another as God has loved us. Just as John said in the Gospels that uh, when, the Lord, well, when the Lord Jesus was speaking, as he writ there, wrote down in the words of read, the Lord Jesus as he spake, love one another as I have loved you. And that was a commandment, not a suggestion. And he says, and this commandment have we from him. And listen, if God's going to command it, that means we are to do it. That means it's not a, uh, just a good idea. It's not just a suggestion that he has made. But it is something that he expects to be done. And if he's expecting it to be done and you're saying there's no way that I can do this, then how can I, how can I love in a way that I cannot love naturally? Well, it's going to have to come from God. God's going to have to help me. You ever... Um, you ever been in a situation where you said, Lord, you're going to have to help me to be nice to these people? Lord, you're going to have to help me to demonstrate a different kind of kindness. God, you're going to have to help me to demonstrate a different level of forgiveness or help me, God, to, uh, help me, God, to demonstrate and act out in my life a different level of forgiveness, a different level of appreciation. Uh, help me, God, to uh, uh, demonstrate in my life to... Uh, to fulfill what it is that you want me to do, even though these folks right here give me a hard time. Lord, I'm going to have to have your help. And I'm sure we've probably all been there in some shape or form or another. And what did we do? We relied on God to give us what we needed. Now, for God to command us to do something and not give us the ability to be able to do it, now, what kind of sense would that make? Now, if God says, you have to do this, this is something I'm telling you to do, it's a direct, it's a direct command from me. But then God not give you the power and the ability to be able to do it, then what kind of sense would that make? No, if God's going to command us to do it, that means he's going to allow us to have the power to do it. And he's going to supply the way to do it. And how are we going to love our fellow brother? How are we going to love our fellow neighbor? How are we, how are we going to demonstrate this love for one another? Well, it's going to have to come from God himself. It's going to have to originate with him. And it's going to, we're going to have to possess it because, as we've said many times over, you can't give what you don't possess. You can't tell what you don't know. Some people do, I guess. But you can't give what you, what you don't possess. And if you can't give someone what you don't possess, then how can we give them the love that God wants us to show them if we don't have the love of God inside of us? And that love is a love that originates from heaven, not a love that originates from this world. And so he says, this is a command. So the next time you say, so you, you, next time you say, God, you're going to have to help me with this. God, I'm going to need your love to be able to do this. And you just know that God will help you. God will equip you. God will strengthen you. God will empower you to do that which he has commanded you to do. Because it goes along with the saying that, Kind of like if we want to say it like this, that where God leads, God provides, and God does do that. And if God's going to lead you and guide you to love as he has loved, and if he's going to command it, then he's going to give you the power and the ability to be able to do it, to be able to do what you didn't think that you could do. So, all right. Well, we'll end right there tonight, and uh, next week we will 
uh, probably we might finish up the book of First John next um, next Wednesday. Don't got but just a few verses there. We may may not, but if we do, uh, then we will just carry on over to the second book of John, which is a very short book, just a few verses there. Uh, we may be able to get through that in uh, in one service. Maybe we'll see. And then Third John, of course, we'll just jump right in through that. And that is pretty much the same way, just one chapter there, not much. And uh, then we'll leave there and go straight into the book of Jude, which is, of course, one chapter. And uh, we'll have finished all of that. And then when we get done with that, we may hop into First and Second Peter. Uh, but anyways, uh, I've enjoyed going through the book of First John. It's been a blessing to me. hope it has been to you. Let's pray tonight. Father, we come to you once again this evening to thank you for your blessings tonight. God, you've been so good to us. Lord, you've showed us in your word where uh, love originates. You showed us in your word the kind of love that we need to possess and what we need to do with it and how we know we got it. Uh, Lord, you have been up front with us on showing us who you are. Uh, you have brought out the Trinity to us tonight and you have... Uh, Lord, showed us here in your word that if, that if we can't love like you love and we can't accept what you accept as far as the Son is concerned, and um, if we're not interested, Lord, in what you're interested in, if we don't love what you love, then we have issues, we got problems. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts as we go through these books, Lord, that you would enlighten our minds, that you would give us the spiritual understanding that we need of your word. Lord, I pray you'd bless us tonight as we get ready to leave. I pray, God, you'd just keep everybody safe and bring us back here to our next appointed time on Sunday. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.